0: Section 31 of Tom Petrie's Reminiscences of Early Queensland. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Tom Petrie's Reminiscences of Early Queensland, Part 2, Chapter 7. This whaleboat trip to Wide Bay and mr andrew petrie's discovery of the river there was recently referred to by sir hugh nelson at a conference of the royal geographical society held in mirroborough the river discovered was known as the wide bay river for some years but afterwards was christened the mary in honour of lady fitzroy nowadays following mr andrew petrie's diary one fails to recognise all points of interest by the names given with regard to this mr knight in his description of the trip says on the following day the party reached a place named by mr petrie bracefield cape but during later years renamed noosa And it may here be remarked that it was little short of criminal to substitute the present names for those bestowed by this band of explorers. It was near Noosa that Bracefield, or Graham, Wandy, the blacks called him, was found, hence the name Bracefield Cape. He was a convict who had deserted in Logan's time, and it was he, who rescued Mrs. Fraser, wife of Captain Fraser of the Stirling Castle, from the Aboriginals, the wreck of the Stirling Castle, the boat by the way in which the Petries travelled from the old country some time previously, is ancient history now, and it will be remembered that Mrs. Fraser was obliged to live alone with the blacks until the time when Bracefield took her down to within a few miles of the settlement and so was the means of her release mr henry stuart russell one of this band of explorers refers to the naming of the different places in one part he says of the coast of the mainland between cape morton and sandy cape little had hitherto been known no survey of it had under any close examination from seawards, been made, none whatever from landwards. Petrie, being in the service of the government, and acting under Sir George Gipps's instructions, considered himself authorized to name mountains, headlands, or any remarkable spot not yet distinguished on a chart as he saw fit, with a view of sending in his report under which such designations would be printed out on government maps. The low bluff which formed the southern and most eastern point of the sandy bay in which we were, he called Racefield's Head, being most suggestive of the occurrence which had so much preoccupied us of late. From a higher ground further back, we could see several noteworthy eminences, which we had remarked on the boat when following the coastline. Of these, Bracefield told the native names, which were written down on the spot. It seems a matter for regret that any of these names should have been tampered with, or that a true discoverer should in any way be overlooked. In those early times, however, many mistakes were made in different ways. Of course, it could hardly be otherwise. With regard to Brisbane Town, it may not be amiss to mention an instance here. Governor Gipps, when the town was about to be laid out, was not pleased with the surveyor's plans. The roads were too wide, and too much land had been wasted in reserves for his taste. Consequently, quote, the whole design had to be altered. Says Mr. Knight. End quote. This, it appears, was a common trick of Governor Gibbs's, still quoting Mr. Knight, for in every other case where he had anything to do with the laying out of a place, he acted in exactly the same manner. His argument in favour of narrow streets was novel, if unsound, namely, that the buildings on either side of such thoroughfares. Would have the effect of keeping out the sun mr andrew petrie actually came to loggerheads with the governor over the foolish proposition and to mark his condemnation of the opinion of others his excellency ordered the width of all streets in ipswich as well as in brisbane to be reduced to sixty-six feet eventually the surveyors after a good deal of trouble were allowed to make the principal thoroughfares about eighty feet. Looking at Governor Gibbs's grabbing propensities, it is a matter for wonder that the Queen's Park escaped being cut up into town lots. But to hail back to Wide Bay and the trip undertaken in what Mr Russell terms a nondescript boat. Certainly he says when in the water with her full burden her midship's rollick was but a measured five inches above the water for i tried the distance afterwards but i found that we could step two lug sails and carry a bumpkin stuck out for a bit of after canvas that was a comfort mr jolliffe being a sailor was bound mr russell says to laugh at the boat how these gentlemen came to join mr petrie on this trip happened in this wise mr russell was on the lookout for a fresh run for sheep and so also was mr jolliffe mr russell had just determined to purchase a small craft or yawl and start out and was thinking over his plans when mr jolliffe bursting in upon him informed him that mr petrie had heard of his intention I've had a long yarn with Petrie about your going, and I will tell you what he says. You've heard of that bunya bunya which the blacks here talk so much about. Petrie is the only white man who has looked for and found it. He has a bit of its wood, you know. It's called Petrie's Pine, and mighty proud of his discovery he is. Well, the governor gave him orders before he left to go to the river on which they say it grows most and examine it thoroughly and report. A proclamation has been issued that no settlers are to encroach upon its quarters, and no white man is to cut down any of it. Petrie says he must go at once. The place is on the banks of a river a little north of the river called the Maroochidore. Petrie says, that queer-looking oyster boat isn't fit for any sea. He wants you to join him and his work. Your own mind too, perhaps, may be knocked off by one trip. What boat can we have, though? Why, there is a five-oared kind of mongrel whaleboat which was built by a prisoner here in a fashion which he will take. You know that there will be no more commandants at Brisbane. He will take five ticket men to pull, a mast to stick up, and a bit of sail when the wind serves. The boat is new and sound, whatever she looks like. That other thing's rotten. End quote, from Genesis of Queensland. And so this party set out, and in spite of many difficulties and hardships, surmounted all drawbacks, and in due course arrived safely back at the settlement again, with their interesting addition in the way of numbers mr russell is amusing in some of his details of his trip on the parties start out he begins to ask mr petrie questions concerning the crew when he finds that one man's name is russell like his own he asks no more on that point later on during the journey up he loses his hat overboard and on this account evidently gets a touch of the sun when the blacks carry the party ashore his head is splitting and intolerable pains creep through his limbs writing of it he says i suppose i was in some sort tortured by sunstroke that night was a horrible seal upon my recollections thereof one of the men was trying to make me a head covering out of some canvas but." why should my limbs torment me well no explanation of the cause could have cured me and thus i miserably stared the stars out of countenance with the help of the dawning day my friends were alarmed but could do nothing our two blacks were in such a funk that they kept me wakeful company throughout though the whites watched in turn by pairs with the sun's return came that of the natives after much gesticulation to the party an old man squatted on his hams on the hot sand and with a queer crone began to scoop out a hole with his hands alongside me i took little heed until it had assumed under his vigorous and odiferous exertions almost the appearance of a shallow grave as a man under his first flooring by seasickness, so was I, absolutely careless of what was going on around. Petrie and others, gravely looking on, rifle in hand, reassured me on one head, yet I could realise nothing. I believe I must have been fast becoming unconscious. What happened, I can tell, however, now. When all was ready, I learnt that two younger natives had lifted me into the grave, divested of every rag on my back. Our own blacks had assured Pedri that the old man could put me on my legs again. He was too anxious about me to repel their proffered service, as long as there was no unreasonable means resorted to. Some large leaves of a water plant had been brought and placed over my head to protect it. And that again was raised upon a roll of my own clothes. Well, I remember the queer sensation of hot sand being shoveled by their wooden implements, Elamans, over me up to the very chin. After that, I knew nothing till I came to the sense of where I was. In fact, I seemed to wake up from a painful dream. I could move but my head. The leaves were lifted from my face and the assemblage at first puzzled me arms had been packed in with the rest and i was in a straight jacket of hot sand pressed in a solid heap upon my carcass but i felt no pain the perspiration was still for i was told it had been doing so for the last quarter of an hour running in tiny rivulets from my head over my face into my eyes and ears I was in a vapor furnace. Quickly I was unearthed, covered with blankets or anything that caught their eye, and fell fast asleep. When I woke in about six hours, I was well, weak, but terribly thirsty. I could have hugged the whole tribe in my gratitude, but they were all gone. I could see that the minds of my compagnons de voyage were much relieved. Especially that kind hearted Scot, Andrew Petrie. Some efficient headgear had been manufactured for me in the meanwhile, to commemorate which the hummock at the point was named Russell's Cap. And so Mr. Russell goes on with the trip. He tells how they christened what is now Double Island Point Brown's Cape because bracefield and the blacks assured them that it was there that brown the mate of the Stirling castle had been killed and disposed of further on he describes a mist into which they were entrapped quote, so dense that except the water immediately about the sides of the boat nothing out of it could be distinguished end quote. Getting free from this at last, they fell into other difficulties, christened an island Gammon Island, because after leaving it, and pulling and sailing about, in and out, and all over the place, they landed at exactly the same spot, much to Mr. Russell's disgust. He suggested the name as suitable to his good Scotch friend, Mr. Petrie, who trotted it down with the ghost of a smile in mr Pedry's diary he describes a point of land as jolliffe's head with regard to this mr russell says jolliffe's long black beard had been an object of mirth and i must add admiration all the jaunt through especially to the blacks the new river head which we were leaving and perhaps should never see again tufted with that thick, glossy patch of dark pine brush, by some process associated itself with it, and down on the rough outline, the base of a future report, went under our official friend's hand, Jolliffe's Beard, for its baptismal name. I wonder whether it is called so still. Maybe it bears some later comers. End, quote. End of section 31